Section 1 of By the Marshes of Minas. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. By the Marshes of Minas by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. The Ramparts of Port Royal. Part 1. Being an adventure of Captain Seth Waldo of the Connecticut Battalion, serving under Sir William Phipps in Acadie. Boston Harbor itself is scarce more sightly, nor half so spacious, exclaimed Major Ephraim Whitman, as he leaned upon the bulwarks of the Boston Ketch, God's Mercy, and gazed with great content across the wide waters of the basin to the low green ramparts of Port Royal. In very truth there was nothing in the Bay of Boston to compare with it, nor even in the havens of my own Connecticut could one match that great and sheltered expanse of safe anchorage lying in wondrous peace between rich shores and high umbrageous hills. But Major Ephraim was a Boston man, and I thought it not well to contend with him in the matter." He had paid this place of Port Royal, this lovely lair of our most pestilent annoyers, the highest compliment that lay within his compass. I answered, therefore, in such a manner as to stir no contention. "'Tis indeed a fair water and a fair shore,' said I. "'And fair would seem our chance of soon possessing that same fairness. But in my heart was the thought of something far fairer.' the possession of which I held of more account by an infinite deal than all the lands commanded by the ramparts of Port Royal. As Major Ephraim, wrapped in glad contemplation of some imagined similitude to the Bay of Boston, spoke no further at the moment. I was free to think of my good fortune in being once more within a neighborhood that held Diane de Meneval, one year agone, I being then a poor captive in Montreal, Diane had looked upon me with a pity whose nigh kinship to love she had at last sweetly confessed to me. My exchange being accomplished, I was held at the price of a little pockmarked French colonel whom I might have stowed away in one of my jackboots. I had gone back to New England with an ill-disguised reluctance. But at parting with Diane, I had sworn that I would come to her in the following spring. Since that parting and that oath she had removed to Acadie, that her gracious presence might cheer the loneliness of her uncle, the Sieur de Meneval, governor of Port Royal. Now, thanks to a favoring wind and honest piloting, here was I at my lady's very threshold, so to speak, making good my oath but would she pardon the manner of my coming? Would she welcome the gallant, a wooing sword in hand? I shifted uneasily from one foot to the other, as I bethought me of a certain imperiousness in her stately carriage, of a certain aptitude for scorn in the green dusks of her deep eyes, as I gazed desirously across the smooth yellow tide to the clustering cottages of the village and the green ramparts guarding them, Something of my solicitude must have shown itself in my face, for Major Ephraim spoke suddenly. Seth, said he with a sly chuckle, I've heard say there is a maid in Port Royal whose name dwelleth more in thy heart 
than on thy lips, and in sooth I begin to believe it. Such a moonsick face as thine have I never seen on a man except he were in love. She is there behind those very earthen walls, Ephraim, returned I soberly, and so fair a maid as never came out of Boston. The major laughed dryly. He had taken two wives out of Boston. I feel for thee, Seth, verily I feel for thee, said he. If she be a maid of any spirit, she will scarce thank her gallant for the shots that will presently be bringing down the walls about her ears. Thou hadst done better, to my thinking, to have held back from this venture of our Sir William's, and suffered thy wooing to abide a more convenient season. And the major searched my countenance with his merry shrewd eyes, right full of wisdom of the worldly as well as of the godly sort you touch me on the raw i answered confessing to my trouble of heart but i had sworn to come at this time and there was no other way that consisted with honour it seemed to me moreover that i might be so fortunate as to do her some service during the contention or thereafter had I not thought more of this than of her good will, I had surely stayed behind. Well, well, said Major Ephraim, in a voice of encouragement, tis an ancient and well-accredited custom to woo a maid with the sword's point, and there may yet be women to commend it, though it fits not well with these mincing days. And who is the damsel, Seth? Mademoiselle de Meneval, said I. Major Ephraim whistled and was silent. "'The governor's niece,' I continued. "'I know, I know,' exclaimed the major. "'This enterprise of ours will, without doubt, commend you to her mightily, my boy. She cannot but love you, if only for the kindness we will do her uncle.' And without another word he turned again to lean upon the bulwarks. The yellow bubbles on the tide, as they raced smoothly past the black side of the catch, appeared to engross his meditation, and I walked aft with a very downcast spirit. Never till now had my eyes been fully opened to the loftiness of the obstacles before me. I had thought of them as barriers to be surmounted with some boldness and some firmness, such as I held myself not altogether lacking in. But when I minded me of Dion's pride of race, I confess that I felt daunted. For was I not helping to put a manner of discredit upon her house? It was by this a little past noon hour. As I stood beside the wheel, I must have worn a black countenance, for every one avoided me. The catch, God's mercy, which ever seemed to me a strange name for a battalious craft, swung easily at her anchor. A little over by lay Sir William's own ship, and in my bitter mood I went nigh to cursing his pennon as it flaunted jauntily from the mizzen peak. Our stout commander had one frigate and six smaller vessels, sloops and catches for this Acadian venture of his and they swung now in ominous array before the menaced ramparts. On his decks he had seven hundred good men of New England, of an excellent fervor to fight, to trade, to pray, or to harry the Quakers. 
of Port Royal, the word had gone abroad that she was ill-garrisoned, and her walls in a condition of grievous disrepair. I could not doubt that we should soon be masters of the place. But for me, what comfort in this? In that hour I saw all black, so completely had Major Ephraim's view of the matter dashed me. While I was thus buried in my gloom, a message came aboard from the commander's ship, and I found myself summoned to his presence. Sir William Phipps had already honoured me with his confidence in more than one affair of import, and he knew that the French tongue was to me almost as that of my own people. The upshot was that a half-hour later my boat thrust out from the frigate, and as fast as four good oars could speed me, I made for the long grey pier beneath the ramparts of Port Royal. I, of all men upon that expedition, was bearing to the Sir de Meneval a peremptory summons to surrender. What would come of it all I durst not think. I had my orders, and could but obey them to the best of my power. I put on a face of iron as the boat pulled in under the dripping shadow of the pier. I mounted the weedy stairs. My white flag of parley had been marked, of course, from the moment that I put out from the ship, and a guard awaited me at the stairhead. Right well did I know those white Bourbon uniforms, grown familiar during my long captivity. With all courtesy I was conducted up through a curious crowd of Acadian villagers, short, swarthy, gesticulating men, and bright-eyed women, whose faces looked out demurely from their hoods of unbleached linen. The great gate of the fort swung open to me. I had time to note how ruinous were the ramparts. I had time to mark the heavy guns which lay waiting to be mounted on their carriages. I saw right well that we had come in time, catching our adversary while he was yet unready. Then I passed through a low doorway and a dark passage. A thick red curtain lifted, and I stood before the governor. The Sieur de Meneval, standing beside a table covered with red cloth, faced me in an attitude of extreme haughtiness, which was somewhat belied, however, by the fine courtesy of his greeting. He was tall, almost of my own inches, but spare exceedingly. His uniform of fine white cloth was brave with gold lace, and his breast glittered with many a jeweled decoration. He was not only a brave soldier, and of most honorable lineage, as I well knew, but he was Dion's uncle, and I think that the deep respect of my obeisance left him nothing to complain of. His dark and hawk-like features softened to a marvelous graciousness, insomuch that I almost forgot Major Ephraim's discouragement. When I had delivered my harsh message, Monsieur de Meneval seemed no whit perturbed thereby, but smiled upon me with a certain indulgence which much bewildered me. Captain Waldo, said he, and smiled the more as he noted my astonishment at being called by name. Captain Waldo will hardly, I think, persuade himself that a stronghold like Port Royal is to be got for the asking. Your Excellency, I replied gently, it is not for me to have any opinion upon this matter. I am but a plain soldier, obeying my orders. I would to God this duty had been required of any other rather than of me. 
But I had no choice. I am ordered to demand of your excellency nothing less than instant and unconditional surrender. I spoke with a sufficient firmness, but in my distress of spirit I lowered my eyes before his searching scrutiny. His long fine hand, which was resting lightly on the red cloth, pressed hard upon the table at my words, and I saw the fingernails whiten. But his voice betrayed no anger as he made reply, and if I refuse, what then? The ships will open fire at once, your excellency, I answered in a low voice. I could not dream that he would let it come to that, and the place so ill-prepared to make resistance. The demand is a most preposterous one, said he coldly. What can I do but refuse, Captain Waldo? Oh, sir, I broke out with a great earnestness, looking suddenly into his eyes, and catching a meaning there which I could not fathom. I entreat you, do not refuse. I have seen your helplessness. Where is your garrison? Where are your guns? In what state are your defenses? You cannot hold out for one hour against our heavy metal. But in that hour what mischief may not befall? For your own sake, for the sake of, for the sake of those whose destinies you control, do not push the lost game to an extremity. You plead with eloquence in an enemy's cause, Captain Waldo, said he with a smile, but I will not pretend to misunderstand you. I believe you do me the honor of wishing well to my house, and I trust much to your goodwill. I will ask you to allow me two hours for consideration before giving you my answer. And in the meantime, Mademoiselle de Meneval, but in a desperation I interrupted him, I knew what he had it on his tongue to say. He was for giving me those two hours with Diane. The blood surged into my head at the thought of it, and a sickness came about my heart because I must refuse. But I durst not let him speak the words. No, no, I cried, putting out my hands. Do not make it harder for me, sir, than I can bear. I perceive that you suspect the nature of my sentiments towards Mademoiselle de Meneval for whose sake I count life nothing, save as it may be spent in her service and to her honor. But no one can know better than you the duty of a soldier. Whether you answer or refuse to answer my general's summons, I must return to him at once. There is no room to question as to my duty on this errand. End of Section 1 Part 1